Hello and welcome back to Great Takes from the Great Lakes, Episode 7, presented by Tunnel Vision Sports. As always, your Great Takes coming at you from Luke Morey, Alex Dimel, and yours truly, Christian Peck Dimmitt. We have yet another jam-packed pod for you this week. We're starting, as we have the last couple of weeks in the NFL, with some power rankings. And we've got a very interesting set this week. I know Alex had to push a team down into last week's ranking, so that'll be fun. Uh, over in college sports, we do have two new members of the SEC. I know we talked a lot about it last week. The NBA draft is officially done. The Cade Brigade has begun. Over in the NHL, free agency is starting to heat up. What we got there, Luke? Yeah, free agency has been interesting, but the biggest moves have been some of the trade acquisitions. And we'll talk about one of the biggest ones, which was... Uh, a Vesna winner going to Chicago and not getting told about it until he found out on Twitter. So we'll go into that a little bit. One, I wonder who that would have been. Yeah, I've got no idea. you got to stay tuned to find out. <laughs> uh, speaking of trades, the MLB had just about every trade you can possibly make. Alex, what's happening in Diamond? This is one of my favorite times of year. I think every baseball fan loves the trade deadline unless you're a team looking to make a lot of moves. One of those teams this year being the Chicago Cubs trading away Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, and Anthony Rizzo. We'll get into that. We'll get into the Max Scherzer and Trey Turner to the Dodgers trade, as well as as many other trades as we can in the time frame that we have. I really hope we don't miss any because it was a jam-packed day. All right, we've got a fun one for you. Let's get into it. start in the NFL as promised with our 15 to number 11 teams for this year's power rankings uh preseason power rankings I guess and I hate to do this to you Luke I've got to stick the Colts down at 15 and I I wasn't aware of the rules I guess because Alex apparently shot him into last week's and I um I didn't know we could do that so I just put him at the bottom of this week's because this just in, I guess, in the last about 24, 48 hours or so, Carson Wentz uh, has officially picked surgery as the option for an injured foot, and the timetable is, quote, indefinite. So there's kind of a big question mark still around this team. There was one before with the play we would get from Wentz, but now, of course, it is Wentz's health. Um He's got kind of a mediocre at best O-line, but other than that, a real solid, I think, overall uh, roster around him. So it really depends on if indefinite with, you know, air quotes becomes, you know, three to five weeks and he misses one, maybe two weeks at worst. Then we're still looking at a team that has a shot at winning this division. And if we get some good play from once, but if indefinite becomes you know, pushing six to eight weeks before he even gets another rep in. And the 
first, uh, I believe it's five weeks of the season, the Colts have a top three hardest schedule in the league. And if they're missing their starting quarterback for all those teams or for all those games, I don't think they're going to do a whole lot better than 15. Absolutely. And it's tough. I know right now they're still kind of, he's hoping for a rehab route, but it sounds like they might go surgery depending on what, how long it takes. But it's tough to see, especially, you know, the quarterback behind him is Jacob Eason, who didn't play a snap last year. Obviously, he was projected to go high. He fell a lot in the draft until the uh, Colts picked him up. But it's going to be tough. We signed uh, Brett Hundley, but he's not going to do much. Um, you just got to hope that Wentz can get better. They've got one thing I will push back on is I think the Colts have top three offensive line. I think Quentin Nelson should have been one of the 99s. I think. That was a huge snub no way. by Madden. Oh, absolutely. No if you've seen some of his play, they signed one of the most underrated. I right- do like Quentin Nelson. Quentin Nelson's a monster. Their right tackle, Braden Smith, is criminally underrated. They just signed him to a big uh, extension. I really like him. Obviously, left tackle is a huge question mark that always is going to be there. Yeah, because Stanzo just retired. How are they going to – they're going to have like a maybe mediocre oh, – I, I don't know. It, it, I like the, Nelson, but I don't think one guard makes their whole team. Well, the rest of their the rest of their line's good. The re- really the only question mark is left tackle. I like Ryan right. Kelly's always been solid. I think the biggest question can be left tackle, and they're hoping for Eric Fisher. They're hoping you know most of their play this year is banking on two guys that have been injured with Carson Wentz and Eric Fisher at the two biggest positions on offense with quarterback and left tackle. So a lot of that depends on them. So I have them at fifteen as well. But one thing I did see that. Uh, really speaks to how much they're banked on their offenses. They have the third highest um, payroll invested in their offense, right behind like the Cowboys and the Browns, and that's it. So they're putting a lot of money in those guys. They have the third highest behind the Cowboys. I don't know what words I have to explain that. I've never heard that stat before, but... Moving on, I did, in fact, move the Indianapolis Colts down to number 17, and I bumped up the L.A. Chargers and the Miami Dolphins, so the L.A. Chargers have now moved up to number 16, moving the Dolphins up back to number 15. If you'd like to hear my analysis of the Dolphins, you can watch or listen to episode 6 on Apple Music or Apple Podcast, excuse me, or Spotify. And moving on to number 14, I have the Washington football team. Um, Big defensive team, obviously, led by Chase Young. He was a monster last year. Um, I know they have officially replaced Alex Smith, who really might be comeback player of the entire NFL ever. I was told that he might not, not only might like lose his leg, but that he would never play football again and still manage to climb his way back. So we're going to give a quick Alex Smith shout out right here. Absolutely. That needs to happen. Um, Then they have replaced him with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, He does have some weapons in Curtis Samuel and Dami Brown. So hopefully they get a little, hopefully the pressure comes off of their defense a little bit. I know it was very much a uh, pressurized defense last year, if that makes any sense. Um, So I know Washington will be looking forward to running a more balanced team this year. Following them, I do have the New Orleans Saints. Obviously, I understand having them at 13 is probably a bit shocking to a lot of people. However, 
well, shocking because they did lose Drew Brees. However, I do think that Sean Payton is going to prove that he's not a Bill, he's not a Bill Belichick, that he can win without Tom Brady. I think he is that type of coach. I think he has that type of drive. I think we'll see Jameis Winston. I think this is his time to shine. I think he underperformed very much in Tampa Bay, and I think he's looking to ex- do extremely well in uh, New Orleans. I think there's an energy in New Orleans that can't be beat in football, so I don't see them really having that bad of a season with or without Drew Brees. Moving forward, I do have the Arizona Cardinals, obviously, we have a big addition of J.J. Watt uh, coming in to really tie down their defense. I know Kyler Murray is probably a very happy man right now, even though he doesn't necessarily get to throw the ball to him. And don't forget, they also now do have DeAndre Hopkins as well. Um, so I think they have a lot of great talent on the team. I think the keyword will be chemistry, whether they can really come together because they do have a lot of talent now, but it's whether that talent can become one. Um, and then following that, I have the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, I know a lot of people have been excited about Trey Lance, especially uh, considering the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo has been very injury prone. But I do think Jimmy Garoppolo is still the captain of this team. I still think he has what it takes to take the team to to really take them the distance. And I think there's a chance we see another playoff run out of the 49ers this year. Yeah, I had the Colts at 15. At 14, I've got the Miami Dolphins. I like their uh, draft a lot. I think Tua is going to be really solid. Picking up Jalen Waddle gives them a nice compliment wide receiver that they can grow together with. I think it's going to be uh, really solid. I'm really excited for that team. And also picking up Jalen Phillips, who was rumored you know, to be a very good defensive player. I think he's going to be really – he's going to turn out really well. I, I'm excited for the Dolphins. I think they're going to be really solid. I think at 13, I've got the Cardinals. You already talked about a lot of what they've got with A.J. Green as well, signing them along with DeAndre Hopkins. He's got some good uh, compliments all around on offense. Defense with J.J. Watt, they're just hoping for uh, Chandler Jones to stick around because that's going to be a big one. If Chandler Jones asks out, that's going to be tough. But if they've got Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt running opposite sides, that's going to be really tough to defend. At 12, I've got the L.A. Chargers. I really like Justin Herbert. I think he's been looking really good in the... uh, a lot of the practices we've seen, he's one of the more mobile and really active quarterbacks. I really like his play. I think they're going to be really good. Obviously, with Joe Bosa and Derwin James on defense, I think it's going to be really solid. And they're going to take a big jump this year. And then 11, I've got the Saints as well. I think Jameis Winston will be good with that team. Obviously, that offense will run through Alvin Kamara, who's shown he can do it. The biggest question is going to be defense with age. They've got Cam Jordan. They've got some good players, but they're all getting a little older. So the question is, you know, can they make one more run with that defense and then, you know, start to add some more youth in there? At number 14, I have uh, the Niners, who, of course, very a, a very defense and run kind of built strong unit. And uh, they do stay very solid uh, in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Of course, a slew of injuries. Uh, really destroyed the entire team last year. And I think either Jimmy G or Trey Lance, I think whoever it ends, uh, you know, whoever it ends up being, my my gut, like Alex, kind of goes with Jimmy G, but have a chance to push this team, I think, even onto the edge of Super Bowl contention. Uh, but I think the I'm going with the floor just based on they're either going with uh, – quarterback coming off an ACL tear or one uh, in his rookie season. 
Uh, so I'm, I'm betting on more of their floor down at 14. At number 13, I have New England Patriots, who have a ton of potential to be, I think, very good this year. Basically, their entire defense opted out last year. And Cam, of course, played basically as bad as anyone could have reasonably thought. And if their defense can be at full strength, especially with Stephon Gilmore, I think that's a big question mark as well, whether they get him back or not. Um, will be they got a very realistic shot, I think, at the division. However, it is one of you know eight hundred teams in this league that really depend on quarterback play this year. I think whether it's Cam or Matt or Matt, we're still not sure at least to start the season who it's going to be. Uh, but they have just about zero receivers. Uh, but they do have solid tight ends and a very solid O-line. So I think the level of play they get from their quarterback can be a big deciding factor for this team. Now, Christian, just before you continue, remind me where you had the New England Patriots. Number 13. Just just to just to compare, I had them last episode at number 19. Luke, do you want to remind our audience where you had the Patriots? I had the uh, I had the Patriots at 20. Oh, Lord. So that's going to be the big difference. So look for this season to see, will Luke and I be right on this one, or will Christian take this one in the bag like he took it and did not jinx it? I will give him more credit for that later, but please continue with your rankings, Christian. See, now i got to be a big pass. Now i got to, like, back up my pick. That happened with the Bucks, where I, like, I was kind of cheering for the Suns, but I had picked the Bucks, so I ended up just wanting my pick to be right so much that I ended up cheering for the Bucks. Uh, so I guess I'm a Pats fan now. Uh, up at number 12, uh, I have the Saints, uh, who very well might have one of the best O-lines, if not the best O-line in the NFL. And, of course, as Luke mentioned, age is an issue, but uh, depending on how age affects them, they could have a top five, top three defense in the league um, as well. Michael Thomas, of course, continues to be one of the best receivers in the league, barring some injuries. Of course, he's going to miss the first couple weeks. Uh, Alvin Kamara, as well, is obviously a monster but as I, with what I've said before, nearly half the league this year, um, the destiny of this team is decided under center. Uh, Sean Payton decided to bang on his in-house, in-house candidates, uh, Jamie Twiston and, of course, Taysom Hill. Uh, the two are currently battling for the starting spot. To be honest, I'm not even sure which one is the better option for this team. Uh, but either way, uh, if they get solid play, I, I, I am kind of betting on uh, Winston, but... They, they do have, I think, Super Bowl hopes again this year, uh, again, barring kind of some, I guess, Tampa Bay play from Winston. Uh, rounding it out, up at 11, I have the Dolphins, and I think I have the highest them the highest out of all of us, so I guess I have to be a Dolphins fan too, which doesn't really work with the Pats. Um, but they added Will Fuller and Jalen Waddell, and this team honestly looks like it could be very nasty. They've got, you know, a bunch of talent at secondary and even more in their receiving core. Well, with a solid defense like the Dolphins have, uh, we yet again wait on the play of their quarterback second year to a tongue of Iloa and hope that he can kind of just fill out the offense, I guess. Uh, they do, however, have quite a bit of competition, as I said, from the uh, in the division from the Pats, uh, which is tough because it will take basically a miracle for them to unseat the Bills. Uh, at, to take the division crown. So they'll be fighting with a lot of other teams, uh, I guess, in this part of the rankings for a wild card spot. And it's 
as it usually does, I think it's going to come down to the Dolphins uh, or the Pats, you know, the same two teams in a division fighting for just one wild card spot. Uh, so that'll be interesting. I do have the Dolphins taking that one, though. I guess I have to revise it now to be a be a Pats fan. Yeah, and one thing to do just for our listeners to remember is this is a very, very young Dolphins team. So I think if they can perform to the level that they need to this year, this is a talented team that we could see run for a very long time. They've had a lot of, obviously, very high draft picks in these last couple of years, considering the fact that they haven't been at the top of the league. So really look to see if that young core can really explode this season. And I think if that happens, we'll see winning football for a long time in Miami. I think you're exactly right. And uh, pivoting over to college sports, we have Texas and Oklahoma as we talked about it a little bit last week, as I mentioned, but it's official now. Uh, they have been voted in. One source said unanimously. One source says uh, all but one voted pro. Uh, but we have Texas and Oklahoma as the official new members of the SEC. And as we talked about, perhaps uh, the beginning of super conferences. Your thoughts on this, guys? Well, I think one thing you have to remember is – or at least for me, is it's going to be so difficult for especially Texas and Oklahoma fans to make this adjustment. Um, I said last time, when I think Texas college football, in general, there are a lot of Texas uh, D1 schools. When I think Texas football, I think the Big 12. When I think the Big 12, I think Texas football. I think a lot of scoring. I think, you know, I think of that game, it was a couple of years ago between Texas A&M and LSU where it was how like seven overtimes or eight overtimes or however many it was, and it was like a 74 to 75. I think, yeah. I, I think of very high scoring, and I think a lot of that, I think people, I don't think people disregard, but I think it's not exactly in the back of everybody's heads how defensively talented the SEC is in general. So I think that's something that these two schools are going to have to adjust to considering the fact that they are not they don't come from a defensive conference and they aren't defensive teams in my opinion. So I think that's something they're going to definitely have to adjust to with this move. But I think you're absolutely right. I think this is the start of a new era of college football that really started with the playoff and is still now ascending into something completely different than what we saw with FCS play. And I'm excited for it solely because that means we get more football with this expanded playoff. I think Having teams like Texas and Alabama be in the same conference could be really interesting uh, in terms of both of those fan bases, both of those schools known as football schools. Um, So I mean, there's a lot more to be excited about this than people are giving it credit for. But like I said, it's going to take a lot of adjusting to think of a Texas school besides Texas A&M being in the SEC. You don't know how long that's going to take, but I may be the only one. No, I think you're right, and I think another thing is it, it really helps. You know, we've already seen it with some of the draft uh, coverage with, like, uh, Trey Lance being at, from North Dakota State. You know, they're like, oh, it's a lower level of competition. And so I think this will kind of – obviously, you know, Big 12 and SEC isn't as huge of a difference, but I think that's going to – this is going to start off that movement where teams that really want to contend or really have a good quarterback or someone they want to show off – We'll try to play more teams in the SEC or divisions like that where they can really show off how talented they are and try to you know, take away from that argument of, oh, it's lower level of competition. He's not going to be as good when he t- takes it to the next level. So I think that's something to watch for in the coming years when this continues to happen. 
over in the NBA, we officially have the draft finally done, and it could not have come, come sooner for me, who I was reminded again and again that I was going to jinx this sucker, and I did not. We have Mr. Cade Cunningham. We got the, uh, the motorcade shirt on. Uh, it is a little sad that I already have um, Yeah, This happened, what, hardware. two, three days ago, and you already <laughs> have the motorcade shirt? This was this was a tunnel vision special, actually. Uh, Mr. Hayes hooked me up. We got the uh, the uh, the swag on for uh, tunnel vision. Did a NBA draft Instagram live. Um, so the recordings are still on uh, the Dylan and Dylan podcast uh, channel. So if you want to, I guess, hear our live takes to those uh, to the draft, go listen to those or watch those. I guess, but. Certainly a very interesting draft. It started off pretty early with Scotty Barnes going at number four, which was wild because this entire draft was spoiled on Twitter, mainly via Woj. And uh, Jalen Suggs was all but a guarantee to go at four. And then all of a sudden, the Magic like, no, we're just going to grab Scotty Barnes instead, which is, uh, I just said the Magic. Uh, I meant the Raptors. Uh, the Magic then took Jalen Suggs at five. Um Thoughts on this draft because there were some very interesting picks. People like Boof Knight that I did not think would fall as far as they did. Yeah, I think the really started off with Scotty Barnes. Yeah, I think that's a interesting move by the Raptors. They're going to have one of the most switchable defenses in the league with Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam, basically clones of each other, uh, playing next to each other. But one thing I think the Raptors are going to be confident in, I think this is really what they're taking a chance in, is their shooting coaches have been phenomenal with Fred Van Bleep, Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam, turning people that didn't have great jumpers or weren't super consistent, turning them into good three-point shooters or just good enough where you have to defend them. And so I think that's really what they're taking a chance on is trusting that obviously his defensive potential is still there and offensively they can bring him around and hopefully he'll develop. Uh, another big thing from draft night, not actually in the draft, I guess. Uh, but Mr. Russell Westbrook is now a Los Angeles Laker. And as a Westbrook fan, I've got right over there in the closet a Westbrook jersey from his Thunder days. I'm not really sure how to feel about this one because I'm really conflicted. Because the one side of me really wants Russ to go grab a ring. And the other side really does not want it to be this way where he's one of three, you know, first-team first all-NBA type guys on the same team. Obviously, they got to fix some floor spacing issues. I think they need shooters around them. But the Lakers really just shot up in the um, the old NBA Finals odds. I thought they, they had a decent chance to go grab a chip next year anyways, and then they go and add Russell Westbrook. Well, let me say this. I mean, the chance of seeing... KD, Harden, and Irving going up against LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook. Seeing those two rivalries go head-to-head, like, that's... I mean, it's already... People are already talking about it as a must-watch NBA Finals, and we haven't even gotten to the regular season or the preseason or summer league yet. Like, the chance of that Finals happening obviously depends on injuries or how the teams gel together, but that would be... Absolutely entertaining. And you know the NBA is going to make one of those games on Christmas or New Year's Day or one of those big holidays where, I mean, it's going to be one of the highest watched NBA games we've seen in a long time. I mean, 
that it, it really is. I, I, I can't wait already. Um, I think it's going to be very fun. Uh, but back to the draft real quick. We had, just to go through some other surprises, we had Franz Wagner, our Michigan man, going to the Magic at 8, who, of course, had two top 8 picks, uh, also grabbing Jalen Suggs. Uh, Josh Giddy of all people, went up at 6 to the Thunder. I don't know about you guys. That was, I thought that was crazy out of the blue. Um, James Booknight, who we were talking about probably going at 6. We were thinking Cade, Green, Mobley, Suggs, uh, probably Barnes at 5. And then 6, Booknight, went down to 11. And the Hornets got a steal from him. We'll talk about it later. But Chris Duarte to the Pacers was also a big surprise. Um, turned out to be a pretty crazy draft overall, uh, and we were kind of all expecting it to be basically chalk one based on Twitter. Davion Mitchell wormed his way into the top ten somehow. I think he's going to be great for the Kings, who might not you know, be too great, especially if they do move on from Buddy Heald this offseason, but he'll, he'll have a lot of room to grow. Yeah, and I think one thing we got to say before we move on from the draft is absolutely class move by the NBA, drafting Terrence Clark. I think that was absolutely incredible. They needed to show respect for that man. Um, for those that don't know, obviously look up the story, look up the NBA draft, um, paying homage to him and his family. But he was a Kentucky player who declared for the NBA draft and then a couple of weeks later uh, died after a car accident. Um, and from everybody that knows him, everybody that talks about him, you'll see him. You probably saw him if you were paying attention to basketball. You saw him all over Instagram. He was a light. His, you know, his smile would, would light up a room. He was so energetic. Everybody was, you know, hoping he was so close to accomplishing his, you know, his goals and all of his dreams. So, absolutely fantastic move by the NBA drafting him, showing respect for his family. I mean, watching that, like that was that was hard not to get choked up. It really was a class act. Just a great move by the NBA. Great job bringing that up. Uh, over in the NHL, like the NBA, we've got uh, some offseason news. And some big moves so far. It's only a couple weeks into the uh, into the off season. Absolutely. I mean, most of the free agency has kind of been chalk for the most part. Most people are just kind of keeping their own free agents. The biggest free agent was Alexander Ovechkin, and obviously he went back to the Washington Capitals. I think he's there for good. But I mean, Alex, the biggest move this off season was Mark Andre Fleury getting traded to the Chicago Blackhawks. And how did you find out about this trade, Alex? Oh, how everybody would ever want to find out about them getting traded. Social media. On Twitter. Social what? media. Found out on Twitter. I don't. This is where it gets a little interesting for me because I understand the urge, especially for these analysts to want to be able to report the news first. It gets them kind of, it makes them look better in a way. It makes them look like, oh, I have stories that you know, I'm very high up. But I can't imagine how it must feel to see that. And then the emotions, oh, is this true? Is this false with someone feeding him information because I don't have it yet? That must be, like, especially for someone with the caliber of Marc-Andre Fleury. And the fact that he is going to the Blackhawks is not great, at least in my opinion as a Red Wings fan. Not too excited for that, especially considering what the Wings-Blackhawks rivalry has looked like for the past decade and a half. But... I did see today that he has officially decided that he is going to report to the team. So I think he's taking it with as much pride as he can. You know, obviously I think he loved playing in Vegas. I know his wife has mentioned multiple times that he loved playing in Vegas, just as he loved playing in Pittsburgh. But I think this is a new start. I think 
uh, it was an unfortunate how it, it was unfortunate how it went down and how he found out. But I do think the only thing he can do now is look forward to the season in a new uniform, um, and hopefully bring at least for him a excuse me a championship to Chicago. Is that is that then on the franchise though? Is that on Vegas for not telling him quick enough? Because well, I mean, part I of like the the reporter like fine, he's doing it quickly, but he's doing it as his job. I feel like the franchise has to like give him a phone call or something at least. Well, part of the problem has been with how Vegas has kind of treated him previously. He had some issues a couple years ago with his agent. They traded away. They traded for uh, Robin Leonard, who they're now putting all their trust in. But they picked up Flurry, told him he was the you know their franchise goaltender. Then they went around and tried to draft, pick up another franchise goaltender, as well as from what I'm hearing, the GM promised him that he wasn't going to get traded away in an elevator a couple couple uh, weeks ago or over the off season. And then they turned around and traded him. So I think Vegas is going to have a really tough time, you know, trying to recruit any free agents or keep their guys. I think. It's been difficult to see how they've been treating somebody. Obviously, I'm a Penguins fan. Seeing how they're treating a guy like the Flower, like who's been a class act, no matter where he goes, no matter what he's done, he's always been beloved everywhere. But it's just tough to see something like that happen. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is where almost the there's so many things about like front offices for these major sports teams and these major organizations that nobody knows about. They're very well kept secret. So. We don't know if someone that happened to just be in the room because they were in the room when the trade went down leaked it to the media. We don't know if maybe the Vegas GM leaked it to the media just because he felt like it uh, and didn't want to talk to under to the flower, as Luke said, himself. That's where, <laughs> excuse me, we don't know necessarily what happened, but the only people that really will know will be, you know, Obviously, I'd hope the Flower and the Vegas front office as well. So that's where it is a sticky situation that nobody really knows what happened. Um, all we do know is that he unfortunately found out through Twitter. Um, whether it was they couldn't get to it in time and they tried to or just simply didn't want to and decided to go the Twitter route, who knows? Uh, but I think this is one of the – this is what really makes free agency and trade deadlines and all of those things so interesting is you know you you lose you lose your job or you get transferred to another branch of your job except in this situation you have to be there that night especially in during the trade deadline with baseball you have to be there pretty much that night you have to say hey i have to find my wife and i have to you know pick up my wife and kids and move i have to find my kids new schools if you have kids of course that's where everything gets so interesting and so i think it's important to remember that there's so much in the dark that we won't know. So it's important, obviously, to consider that before you make any sort of decision about any, but whether you're in favor of Vegas doing it or doing it the way they did or not. That's something to keep in mind. But it, he, like you've said, Luke, he's a class act. He's been a class act everywhere he goes. And I have no doubt in my mind that he will handle this like a class act. And I think that's the best thing Chicago could ask for. I mean, speaking of Chicago, we can roll right into how the Cubs are looking right now. Alex, do you want to talk about uh, what happened with that trade deadline? All right. I need our listeners to prepare for just a whirlwind of two days, those two days being July 29th and July 30th, the day before and the day of the Major League Baseball trade deadline. 
We had a lot of moves go down, starting as we just as uh, Luke just alluded to. The Chicago Cubs traded away three of if of their if not most notable players, uh, them being Javier Baez, Chris Bryant, and Anthony Rizzo. Now they didn't just trade them away, but I need for those of you who haven't seen all three players hit a home run in their first game with their new team. For for Javier Baez, that would be the New York Mets. For Chris Bryant, that would be the San Francisco Giants. And for Anthony Rizzo, that would be the New York Yankees. Rizzo, who also hit two home runs in two games. So it has been quite the hot start for players leaving Chicago. I thought it was only a thing that happened in Detroit. When players left Detroit, they would just explode and just be amazing. Apparently, that curse has welcomed itself to Chicago. But I think the Cubs, as we all know, as uh, when we really when we started uh, this podcast, were just about tied with the Brewers for first in the NL Central, and have since started to coast down. And I believe they're sitting somewhere around third or fourth in their division. So I think the, at least from my perspective, the mind of um, the Cubs front office is all three of those players had one year remaining on their contracts. We're going into free agency this coming year, and so they thought, hey. Let's get that money out and figure out what we can do with it this offseason because we will not only will the, all three of them be um, free agents this offseason, but they can see what they can do with anybody else and anybody else's team or any, any other big free agent that comes up this season. I know Anthony Rizzo has already said, however, that he is open to a contract extension with the Yankees, so it must mean that he's liking New York already, which is great to hear for him. And speaking of New York, they also picked up Joey Gallo in a trade with the Texas Rangers. Um, obviously, the Rangers have not had a wonderful season. Um, they are currently last in the AL West, um, and I believe Gallo was one of the one of, if not the biggest name that they had. Uh, just he was in the home run derby. He is known as a home run hitter. Um, and so I think it was one of those things where they are really just looking to rebuild probably through their farm system and figure it out from there. But it was actually a six-player trade between the Yankees and the Rangers. Uh, the Rangers got four prospects, those being second baseman Ezekiel Duran, shortstop Josh Smith, second baseman Trevor Halver, and uh, right-handed pitcher Glenn Otto. Um so, again, I think they're looking to really rebuild through their minor league system. Um, another big trade that uh, went down, as I mentioned earlier in, the, in our introduction, was Max Munt, or excuse me, Max Muncy's already in L.A. Another Max is headed to L.A., and that Max being Max Scherzer, along with fellow uh, former Washington National Trey Turner, were headed, to Los An- were headed to Los Angeles for right fielder Donovan Casey, uh, right-handed pitcher Gerardo Carrillo, right-handed pitcher Josiah Gray, and catcher uh, Hebert Ruiz. Um, I don't know how they have any money left in Los Angeles anymore. They don't. There's no way they have that much money. When you look at their roster right now, all all I can think about is holy salary cap. But if it works in Los Angeles, it works in Los Angeles. So hopefully that works out for them. Um, Another noted deal was and this was actually I think my favorite trade of the entire deadline and I'll get into why in a second. Uh the Minnesota Twins traded Jose Barrios to the Toronto Blue Jays for Austin Martin and Simone Woods Richardson. Uh Martin was one of the top five picks of the 2020 MLB draft, currently now one of the top Blue Jays prospects. 
Um, and both him and Rich and Woods Richardson are said to be MLB ready soon. So I think the Twins really got a great deal out of that. And I know Jose Barrios was great in his debut for the Blue Jays. I think this was all around a great deal. I think the Twins were looking to really just deal away pitching as they also traded away J.A. Happ to the St. Louis Cardinals. Um so they were really trying to dump a lot of their veteran pitchers for prospects. I think they're also looking for another rebuild, as a lot of these teams are. And also in Major League Baseball news, um, the Chicago Cubs traded Ted Krimbrell, Ted Craig Kimbrell to the very so desperately far away Chicago White Sox um, for Cody uh, Hewer and Nick Madrigal. Uh, and some more prospects for the Cubs. I think they were also just looking, like the Twins, looking to make another rebuild through their farm system, uh, which I think is smart right now. I don't see any reason uh, why these teams would want to keep these players, especially through free agency, when they can get these prospects now and start getting start really develop, developing them to their style of play early. So I think teams like the Twins and the Cubs are starting that process now i think that's a great idea um that really rounded out the big names uh in the trade deadline in the past couple of days for more on that look for our mlb round table we've already seen our nba one we are moving into major league baseball you should see that later this week on the tunnel vision website again that's tvsportsmag.com you'll get into more of that there and get into more of our i guess more of an opinionated on why these trades were good and why some of them were shocking to others so look out for that as well and on that note let's roll right into midwest minute We are ready with the NBA draft room. Going to go through every Midwest team and uh, kind of go through what they did and give them a grade. Uh, we're going to start with the Pistons, though. Obviously, we're going much more in depth uh, with them for Michigan Minute or wait, Michigan Madness. Wait, rather. guys, who did the Pistons take? I didn't. I didn't see it. Who, who did they take? I wonder. I'm. I'm not quite sure. Definitely not the best player in the draft, Mr. Cade Cunningham who is just a beast. I have said it so many times on this podcast, but I love me some Cade. Motorcade is official. He's a Detroit Piston, and this man is a monster on both ends of the court. Three-level score. He runs the pick and roll so well, so well for a freshman, a guy as young as he is. He's a great distributor, very solid rebounder, a lot, a lot of defensive upside. And my man is 6'8", 220. This man is Pat Cartier size, and he is a guard for us, just moving all around. He is so good offensively, and I think he fits right in with these Pistons. And we also took Isaiah Livers and Luca Dan in the Midwest, and especially with Mr. Livers staying uh, in Michigan. And I think that's going to be so much fun. Alex Dimel pumping his fist right now. That's that's going to be a fun team. We're definitely going to talk about them a whole lot more during Michigan Madness. Uh, on to the Bulls. Uh, the Chicago Bulls kind of bided their time. I definitely predicted, um, may or may not have been wrong, uh, but predicted in the, uh, the TV sports uh, mock draft article that you'd see Bulls try to trade up into the first round. They did not. I was wrong. They 
bided their time. Down at number 38, they took Io DeSumo, who, of course, we have seen a whole lot tearing up the Big Ten. Uh, he is obviously an older guy, but all things considered, he was a monster. I would have liked to see them take kind of a bigger two-way wing for the Bulls, but they're the Bulls. They kind of they kind of need anything at this point. Uh, they did lack bench scoring last year, and Desumu uh, was definitely a projected first-rounder. A lot of people, including us, me and Luke, talked about him going kind of in the mid to late 20s to a contender to get some like uh, NBA-ready scores. But, you know, he got passed on, and all of a sudden uh, he's down with the Bulls. So that's definitely a good pickup for them. A minus uh, is the grade all around for them. Uh, the Bucks <laughs> may have had – actually, not may have had. They probably had the worst draft out of uh, the, the Midwest teams. Uh, they had the first pick in the second round at number 31. Interestingly enough, traded back, actually, with our very own Indiana Pacers. Uh, and picked up two in the second round, um, number 54 and number 60. This is going to be tough here, uh, these pronunciations. But Sandro Mamakalishvi, Seton Hall, a center. And then uh, Gorgios Kaelatsakiv from Greece. I definitely butchered the crap out of those. Uh, I hate to say this, but it might not matter because these guys probably won't end up making the Bucks roster which makes the picks very interesting because usually from contenders, you try to see if they're going to take a pick, they're going to look for instant impact kind of NBA ready guys, even if they're a little older. Um, but obviously I still think the bucks have a top three chance uh, out of any team in the league. Of course, the nets and the Lakers being above them to win the chip this year or this coming year, as far as the draft goes, a D maybe a D plus. I don't really like trading back. I guess probably whoever they were thinking they could get at 31 must have gone sooner. Uh, with the Cavs, their only pick was number three. They took Mr. Evan Mobley from USC. We talked about him a whole bunch leading up to the draft as the probable pick for the Cavs, so I'm not going to go too in-depth on him, but he is the ideal modern big man. 7-1, can stretch the floor, got a decent set of handles. Uh, but he can be strong down low when he needs to be, and he's a solid rim protector. He was the Pac-12 depoy as well as the Pac-12 freshman of the year and the Pac-12 overall MVP uh, player of the year. So, I mean, A-plus for the Cavs here. They, they're in rebuild mode, and they've got a real solid backcourt already, adding you know, a frontcourt player like Mobley is huge. And the Pacers, Mr. Luke Maury's Pacers, uh, had an interesting draft, to be sure. We talked a little bit about it, but uh, saved, I think, most of what is perhaps going to end up being an argument uh, for right now. They took uh, Chris Duarte from Oregon, who is a conundrum. My man is an elite three-level scorer. He's a down defender, both on and off the ball. He's got a lot of upside as a distributor. Top part that this man is 24 years old. He is the same age as Devin drafted in the first round. Um, they also traded up uh, to number 22, grabbed the pick from the Wizards, who had just grabbed it from the Lakers in that Russ trade. Uh, they ended up taking Isaiah Jackson from Kentucky, a very solid, high IQ traditional center, uh, who should kind of provide the team with some much-needed rim protection and rebounding, because, of course, Miles Turner wasn't exactly giving them that. Um, I'm not quite sure how to feel about the draft overall, uh, especially because of Duarte's age. I would have liked to see them take a larger wing, which is what Luke suggested. But overall, we're going with a B, maybe a B plus. 
Yeah, I agree with what you said. The biggest confusion, you know, confusing part was Chris uh, being 24 already. He was mocked a lot, you know, to the Wizards who needed, or sorry, to the Warriors who needed a win now kind of move to hopefully win with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. But what my thinking is, seeing this draft happen as I was reacting in real time, um, I think this is a wait and see what's about to happen kind of draft where I think there are going to be moves happening. I think they traded away Aaron Holiday for the number 22 pick. And what I'm taking from that is they probably have a handshake agreement with TJ McConnell that he's going to be coming back as their backup point guard. Um, he obviously was he played much more uh, minutes than Aaron Holiday. He was a much better defender, even though he's not a great three-point shooter, but that's okay. You can, you know, you can survive without that. And the Isaiah Jackson, Jackson pickup, I think, might be a sign that Miles Turner might be on the way out. I think Isaiah Jackson. I think it's definitely a sign that he's on the way out. I mean, they can't they can't stick with five centers, right? You know, they can't have Domas, Miles Turner, Goga, no. and Isaiah Jackson, <laughs> right? Like, tell me they can't have all of those guys. I mean, they certainly could. We had the Pistons going into the <laughs> the beginning of last year with I think five or maybe four centers on their roster, uh, but they got to move on from Turner, right? I mean, probably. I, th- I think they have to. I think, especially Isaiah Jackson fits so much better with Sabonis. He's a rebounder. He's a rim protector. He doesn't need the ball as much as Miles Turner wants to have the ball. I think it's going to work out a lot better playing those two together and having Goga as, you know, a six, seven man who can kind of be that Miles Turner-esque guy off the bench shooting threes. You know, he doesn't need to play a ton of defense because he's playing on the bench unit. I think that's a better f- fit. And then I think... Chris Duarte, I think hopefully they're going to try and put him at the three with, you know, uh, Brogdon, Levert, TJ Warren coming back. Obviously, I'm really excited to see Warren play again. Um, but, I mean, Brogdon's been mocked a lot to be traded somewhere. He was one of who they're hoping to trade for Ben Simmons. I saw that was their uh, trade offer. I really like Brogdon. I hope they don't move on from him, but I could see some team really trying to go for him. And then, you know, maybe they've got Duarte to go behind them. So I think it's a wait and see. Because I think they've got moves coming on later on. You think you think they could maybe put Duarte at the two? Do you think Lavert is big enough to be a three? Because I don't know if Duarte is big enough to be a two. I think it's tough. Or I think, big enough to be a three. I, I think they're going to be going if they get move on from Miles Turner. Their best position should be almost a small ball, where Miles or where uh, T.J. Warren is kind of playing the four. Just because he's pretty good as a three, but he can't move with some of the best three uh, small forwards just defensively. He can match up better as a four, spacing the four for Sabonis. And I think then they'll kind of go a little bit smaller. Obviously, Malcolm Brogdon's six foot five, so he can defend one through three, put him on the toughest guy, Levert and Duarte. Duarte, obviously, like you said, he's a lockdown defender. He can take the second best. You can hide Karis Levert, let him put all his energy into offense. I think that's that would be my ideal pick, but knowing how the Pacers have gone sometimes, it might not be how it's going to work out. I'm telling you, man, top five seed in the East. <laughs> I'm not a Pacers fan, but I just I feel it. I think it's hey, happening. I won't complain about that. I will not complain at all about that. Well, moving on into the NHL, um, I'll just go through kind of what each Midwest team did and what their goal for the offseason should be. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks, we obviously already talked about the Flurry deal. I really like their pickup. They didn't trade anything away from them. The Vegas uh, was just basically trying to save salary cap with obviously the salary cap not moving up with the COVID year that happened last year with the pandemic. 
Um, so they really didn't give up anything for Marc-Andre Fleury. They also traded for Seth Jones earlier, and their biggest need was goalie. And now with Fleury staying and promising that he's all in, I think their goal is one last ride with Patrick Kane's Patrick Kane and uh, Jonathan Taze. Seth Jones is a nice little middle-of-the-road guy. He's 26. Marc-Andre Fleury's older, but their goal is one last ride. Minnesota Wild, they had a pretty good draft. I liked uh, their pickups of Jesper Walstead and Carson Lambos. They also signed Freddie Goudreau, who I really like. He's an older guy. He's about 27, but I think that was a good signing. They're letting go. They uh, bought out Zach Parise and Ryan Suter, who are both long-term staples of Minnesota. So their goal is to determine their identity while also trading away Cam Talbot at some point, who's 34, and he has two years left on his deal with a total of, over those two years, 700000 So it should be an easy-to-move-on deal, get a young guy and then determine their new identity, find some new captains and associate captains. The Columbus Blue Jackets, their goal this offseason is pretty easy. Their goal is tank. They're, they should be one of the worst teams in the league this year. They should try to pick up any bad contracts, get some good draft picks, take notes from OKC and the NBA, and just embrace it and then rebuild. Nashville Predators, their goal is new blood. Pekka Rene retired, the absolute staple of Nashville hockey, and also they traded away Ryan Ellis, who was another big staple of that era and that big Smashville that everybody loved. They still have Matt Duchesne, Philip Forsberg, Roman Yossi, and Yusei Saros to take over for Pekka Rene. But they're a year away from contending the best, so their goal should be chemistry, picking up any more, uh, you know, any good guys in the trade deadline, anything like that. But chemistry is the biggest thing for them. And the Detroit Red Wings, we'll talk about them a little more in Michigan Madness, but their goal this year should be battle for a playoff spot. I don't think they're going to make it this year, but I think, I, I mean, I'll go down. I'll, I'll predict a playoff spot in the next two years for the Detroit Red Wings. I'm confident enough in that. I like their draft. Their signings have been really smart. Trading for Nick Letty, I think, was a really good pickup. I'll, obviously, Alison Delkovic, we already talked about. But we'll talk a little bit more about what exactly I'm going to think their next season uh, win-loss record should be. But I think they're building the right way for sure. Don't, don't get my hopes up, dude. Don't do that to me. I'm it's looking at this team it's hard not to get excited like they they're building the right way they're not trying to jump too quickly give give Stevie some time <laughs> give, a, give him give him some time I, I think I think in two years they might not I'm not promising they're gonna win anything but I'm they're gonna be in the playoffs at least as a low seed I think they're gonna be good enough and then we'll see what happens and on that note, let's roll right into our Midwest Major League Baseball teams, uh, starting off with our standings. As always, the Chicago White Sox are still on top of the world, and by the world, I mean the AL Central. Uh, currently, still sixty-two and forty-four, uh, four and six in the last ten, though. Uh, Cleveland Indians are fifty-one and fifty-one. Uh, they're also four and six in the last ten. Uh, Detroit Tigers are fifty-one and fifty-seven. Uh, also four and six in their last ten games. Uh, switching it up from that, the Kansas City Royals are six and four in their last ten, but are currently at fourth place in uh, with a forty-five and fifty-nine uh, win-loss record. And bottoming out the AL Central will be the Minnesota Twins, who are forty-four and sixty-two and are three and seven in their last ten games. Um, moving over to the National League, we have the Milwaukee Brewers, who are still riding high. Uh, they're seven games ahead of the second-place Cincinnati Reds. The Brewers are 63-43. and 43. Uh, They're on a 7-10 and 10 streak in their last 10 games. Uh, and then moving on to second place, the Cincinnati Reds are 56-50. Uh, like I said, they're seven games back, but they're also 7-3 and three in their last 10 games. 
The St. Louis Cardinals are 53 and 52, uh, and they are six and four in their last 10. And then in fourth place, we have the recently transaction hot Chicago Cubs, uh, who are 51 and 56 and are four and six in the last 10. And bottoming out the NL Central will be the Pittsburgh Pirates, who are 40 and 65, uh, 22 and a half games back of first place and are four and six in the last 10 as well. Obviously, the big uh, big teams in that list of 10 are the Chicago Cubs, who recently made a lot of moves this uh, this uh, last deadline. And give the Minnesota Twins some credit as well. Like I said, I think they made a really good deal uh, trading away Barrios and getting those prospects. Uh, they also dealt away J.A. Happ. Um, I know the Detroit Tigers will get into their trades uh, or in transactions in general or lack thereof a little bit in uh, Michigan madness. Uh, and other than that, the Chicago White Sox gained Craig Kimbrell, which was a great add-on for them. Um, and on that note, we'll roll right into Michigan Madness. Yeah, on that note, we've already talked about the Red Wings, what they've done. I think they've been really smart this offseason. Obviously, Believe in Steve is going strong. They've re-signed Tyler Bertuzzi earlier for a two-year deal. Their biggest need now is re-sign the Jakob Brana. I don't think they'll be that far behind re-signing Bertuzzi. I think they're going to sign Rana in the next couple of days. Let Dylan Larkin grow. Nick Luddy on defense. He's only 30, but I think that he's going to really help the young defensemen learn and grow. Simon Edmondson, their top draft pick, won't be playing in the uh, U.S. this year. He'll be, he's going back to Sweden. But I think that kind of veteran leadership that Nick Luddy had, he was on that Islanders team that made that run earlier, that, like just this year, which feels crazy. It feels like it was forever ago. But I think their goal should be about 20 to 25 wins this year. But I think, honestly, if Nadelkovich plays really well, I think they could be close to 35 wins, which is about 10 games under 500, which isn't bad at all. And on that note, we're going to roll right into some Tigers baseball. Uh, really only one uh, trade made by the Tigers. They sent Daniel Norris to the Brewers. Um, Daniel Norris has been on Tigers for a while now that I think about it. Um, I can't remember exactly uh, how long he's been with the team. But I know he's been a huge help. I know we really – he became a name really after David Price and Scherzer and all of them were traded away. So uh, sad to see him go, unfortunately, but he's traded for Reese Olsen um, in high A ball for the Milwaukee Brewers and is looking to become another one of those Tigers uh, – Big names in their minor league system along, obviously, Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green. Um, and before we move on uh, to Pistons basketball, I do want to give a shout-out to the one, the only Miguel Cabrera, who is currently at 497 career home runs, three away from the 500 mark. Um, he's also at a career total of 2,942 hits. So... I don't know the odds of us seeing him hit the 3,000 mark. That's 60 hits in about two months. I'd be very impressed if he made it there, but I think there's still obviously a possibility. Um, I am looking forward to hopefully seeing him hit the 500 mark before the end of the season. That'd be a, a huge milestone, obviously. I'm a guy who's been very quiet in the past couple of years, but was in a way the face of Tigers baseball, especially from an offensive standpoint. Uh, the most recent Triple Crown winner, um, 
And so obviously, I think even in his old age, everybody loves Miggy. Uh, he's still kicking it. He's still playing for the team. And so um, it's great to see him get closer and closer to that milestone. Uh, this split, the Tigers did just split the series with the Baltimore Orioles. A four-game series went two and two. Uh, and starting tomorrow, uh, they will host the Boston Red Sox, who are currently a half game back in the AL East um, where actually as, as we record this and as I speak, they are an out away of drop from dropping another game to the Tampa Bay Rays. We're currently in first place. Now with that said, I think this series is going to be the test to see how good Tigers baseball actually is because I think the Red Sox obviously are a very talented team with a lot of firepower. So I'm going to make this prediction. I'm coming out of retirement again, ladies and gentlemen. Your retirement lasted how long? What, a little less than a week, I think? I think just about a week. Yeah. Just about a week. Congratulations. If the Tigers can make it through the series, taking the series, meaning they take two out of the three, we will see a Tigers playoff run next year. Come on. That's not any take. That's just putting conditions on the take you already had. Exactly. Exactly. I think, you know what? That is more than right. That is exactly a perfect way to put it. I still think we're going to see a playoff run, but I think this is actually going – I don't think they've been tested as well as I think um, they could have been. I think they've faced teams like the Rangers. They just faced the Orioles, teams who have been kind of lower caliber teams in the past. I think it's our uh, last five series have been against teams under 500. Yes. So I think – with as well as they have actually been playing, I think this is going to be obviously a true test of their talent to see um, is this young core ready to be a playoff contender? Are they ready to, or not even a playoff contender, but just be a winning baseball team? And so look for these next three games. Uh, watch closely. Do we see Eric Haas continue on this hot streak that he's been on? Can Akil Padue really? I don't think anybody is giving him enough credit. The man should be the absolute front runner for the rookie of the year in the American league. And nobody is talking about it. So I'm going to say it here. If that man is not the rookie of the year, the entire process is a sham. Um, but moving on, moving on a little bit less from that. I think this is going to be an exciting series because we're going to see how truly talented this ball club is there. Obviously it is a very young team. Um, we're going to see how really in my opinion, AJ Hinch's first test in this hot streak as a Tigers manager. And so it'll be interesting to see how they handle that, especially in front of a home crowd. I think that is a great uh, advantage that they have considering the fact that I think there's an, and I've said this for the past couple episodes, there is an energy in Comerica park right now that hasn't been there since the 2012, 2013 year, uh, seasons. And I think that's a great, stepping stone for a playoff run but i don't think it completes and guarantees one so i think for the 50 millionth time this is going to be a true test we're also going to see jd martinez return again uh who's a former tiger who's currently with the boston red sox uh currently at 20 home runs this year uh, um so it'd be cool to see jd come back to detroit again and uh looking forward to hopefully taking that series against the red sox and on that note um I have something to say to Christian. You did not jinx it. Thank God you didn't jinx it. We didn't take someone else. We took Cade. But I want to get into, obviously, we've talked about Cade so much on this podcast. Well, I want to get into our other three picks. Isaiah Livers, 
Luke, and and really the other the other two the big two names for me are Isaiah Livers and Luke Garza, uh, mm-hmm. both Big Ten names. Luke Garza, um, one of the top players in college basketball. Um, I don't know how we were able to snag him in the second round, but all, not a him. We'll get there. We'll get there. But I think as having him and Isaiah Livers, who was really in a way their team captain, I think mm-hmm. there was a lot. Of, there was really a leadership missing, a leadership standpoint missing when he went down with an injury during the playoff right. during the madness. And so I think they are getting someone who has that leadership capability. It'll take time for him to develop, but it's good to have them. I think it's the same thing with Garza. Garza really did lead that team in a way. And so I think they're they're getting a lot of proven leaders who will be able to hopefully use that, use that talent that they have in the NBA. Again, we've talked about it before. This is a very young team and it somehow keeps getting younger. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think they're going to rely on those young guys a lot. And I think they picked two or three, two and technically three, but two of those guys being great guys to step up and take a great role in that, uh, in that rotation. Uh, before we talk livers and Garza, got to say motorcade one last time, because this man is a beast. Uh, the cornerstone of what's going to be a playoff team in two years uh, but I love the I love the Livers pick. I think he's also a lockdown wing defender, uh, which is amazing. And I I can tell you why Garza fell so far because he is he's um <laughs> not NBA ready. How about we say that? Really? What 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 makes you say that? Because he can't move laterally. He can't name one player outside of like current Dirk current retired Dirk that he could defend. I mean, can, uh, I love the guy. I want him, I want him to. But that's why success. he's there. That's why he's there because it's such a young team. They're going to help him develop. You, they wouldn't pick him. If I, if they wouldn't take him, if they didn't think he had the potential to gain that lateral quickness. First off. Yes, they would. Picks in the fifties almost never make rosters past like their rookie contract. I, I do I do love me some Garza. My man can move in the post. He's got just a great offensive skill set overall, but he definitely needs to know, drop weight or something, get quicker. Uh, but that's got to happen for him to have any consistent impact on this team. Uh, Alza Kobrivica is, I think, a conundrum of a pick because he's another big guy that can't move, and he doesn't have an outside shot. So I don't really know why we took him, which brings me to the weird Plumley trade, because like an hour before the draft started, we traded Mason Plumley and the 37th pick for the 57th pick. That's it. That's the whole trade. So we really just like gave away Plumley. Well, the thing is, any like smart fan goes okay we're dumping salary because he had what 12 and a half million on our on our pay books or whatever so with him gone it, what was going to happen was my exact prediction was now we have we still have three second round picks we can now take on a bad deal to move up into like the mid to late lottery but we didn't do that we didn't do anything 
and we just kind of traded back in the draft and pumped salary for some reason. We have a huge amount of money already. There is, no, if for those of you that don't know, we have no big names on our roster. There is no reason to dump salary because dumping salary means we need we would need it in the next two years, which is you know how long the Plumley contract would have lasted. And we're not gonna. I hate to break it to you, Pistons fans, but we're not gonna sign any big names in the next two years. So I don't. I don't understand the Plumlee trade. I did at the time thinking we were gonna trade up for something, but now I have no clue. And I gotta end us with one thing: Young Timmy Hardaway might be coming back home. A former Michigan player, Tim Hardaway please, Jr. Please manifest it. I'm not even going to talk about jinxing it. Please bring him home. Please bring him home. I want him home so bad. He hit. He is apparently like on the Pistons' radar or whatever and generating interest from us, uh, which I think is great. Adding that kind of shooter, he obviously he's not a great defender, but adding that kind of shooter around Cade, uh, we already have the greatest pick and roll in the history of basketball with Cade Cunningham and Beef Stew. The, the more shooters we have to space the floor around that, I haven't uh, even seen the better. It it's still the greatest pick and roll in the history. Of <laughs> Doesn't matter. Beef Stew is lights out from anywhere. I'm, I want to see him shoot from half court this year. All righty. Or I, how about I, can't I mean, wait to watch some I mean, another we'll free see. agent uh, that uh, declined his option is Kawhi Leonard. Maybe he's coming to Detroit. He's coming to the Pistons. <laughs> he wants oh, to play with Cade. Motor Kawhi. <laughs> Uh, speaking of <laughs> let's let's keep motorcade for now and see where we go. Uh, for now. Speaking of which, CP3 also declined that option, uh, but it's kind of lame because both Kawhi and CP3 are quote, expected to, regardless of declining a player option, go and re-sign a multi-year deal with that same team, the Clippers and the Suns respectively. Uh, so big news, but not really big news uh, to end this episode, uh, number seven of Great Takes from the Great Lakes. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, check us out. Listen uh, to us on Apple Music, Apple Podcast. I said Apple Music again. Spotify, anywhere you find your podcast, check out Tunnel Vision. Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at underscore TV sports, and then Facebook and LinkedIn at just uh, Tunnel Vision Sports. Then, and if you haven't followed us on Instagram yet, what do you do? You're just what? scrolling through. Why do you even have Instagram? Content. What's, what's the point of having Instagram if you're not going to watch us? And also go throw the Dylan and Dylan show a follow as well. Of course. Uh, they have some great, con- great content great. out of that one as well. Mm hmm. Uh, and of course, Tunnel Vision Sports at tvsportsmag.com. Thank you for joining us today, and uh, we look forward to you guys listening to us next week. <laughs>